Welcome to ID the Future. I'm Joshua Yunkin. Today we have an author with us by the name of John Romju, who has written a book called I, Charles Darwin. Here with us to talk about the book is the author himself, John Romju. Good morning, Mr. Romju. How are you? Good morning. Thank you, Josh. It's my privilege. What is the book I, Charles Darwin about? Well, it's a book about Charles Darwin, the great naturalist, 19th century naturalist, often called the father of evolution, the author of Origin of Species in 1859. And it's about his coming back to Earth 150 years later and being commissioned to take another look at his evolutionary theory as to its status, his progress, and he does that in light of the DNA molecular biological revolution. The second thing that he registers during his visit as a time traveler is that he cannot help but notice the history that has taken place, uh, that has uh, transpired in the 20th century. So he sees the impact of his idea he finds out that this idea has had a much wider impact beyond science on the 20th century, which was a century of political and social and even moral upheaval. And this is quite disturbing to him, so he registers that. And all of this he records in a journal. That's what the book is about. So you've got a time-traveling 19th century naturalist who comes into the 21st century to see what his ideas have done to the world, both um, how they've been treated by modern science and how world leaders have applied some of those thoughts. What is it that drew you to the subject of Charles Darwin? Why him? I am a uh, historian interested in the impact of ideas and idea systems in history, the major thought systems, particularly those that shaped our own world, the 20th century world and beyond. And I think practically all readers are familiar with these major idea systems, at least in name and as well as in application, Marxism, Freudianism, and of course Darwinism, and systems of their disciples, their various disciples. I regard as a historian Darwinism to be foundational. When you write this book, though, you're not necessarily aiming it at those who would read formal academic histories. You wrote the book for a different audience, isn't that correct? Well, that's true. During all that time, I had a kind of a side career, and that was the writing of fictional stories and storytelling. And being interested in the 20th century and why it developed as it did mm -hmm. led me to want to examine it in fictional language and fictional genres, and what came out of that was a set of stories, I called them history stories, and they were about American and European characters who lived in the late part of the 20th century and who were thrown in conflict with the unexpected and sometimes tragic consequences. I wrote stories of which Marxism was a theme, or Freudianism, or I had a story about a Nietzschean novelist, mm -hmm. and finally I thought, well, what about Darwin? Bringing Darwin forward in time to see with his own eyes what had changed, if anything, 
in evolutionary theory and also what the impact of his whole idea system might have been. You mentioned four major 19th century and early 20th century thinkers, Freud, Darwin, Nietzsche, and Marx. And, you know, Richard Weaver said ideas have consequences, but of course our lifespans are not so long as to see them all. So this is a wonderful device, I think, to confront the thinker with the consequence of his thought. What is it that you studied in order to understand Darwin's own social milieu and perhaps even get into his shoes for a bit? How did you do that? I got interested, of course, in the general subject of the intellectual changes that were taking place all through his lifetime and, of course, before. Darwin's own grandfather, whose name was Erasmus Darwin, was one of the early products of the late Enlightenment. He was a materialist, and the idea of evolution, of course, preceded Darwin. He just came into it with the first systematic and plausibly acceptable theory about how it might occur. And it was a time when, even though the 19th century saw itself as a century of progress between the the last of the Napoleonic Wars between Waterloo in 1815 and the outbreak of World War I in 1914. It was a century generally without war. The wars were small, except for the American Civil War. The German wars of unification were as decisive as they were. They weren't that bloody. They were over with quickly, unfortunately, for those that the Kaiser conquered. But the point is, it was a generally a time of peace and progress and great expectation. Mm-hmm. And Darwin was part of that, and the ideas of the Enlightenment were still flowing free. They would not be called up short until the 20th century came along with all its terrible lessons. I think I got my best appreciation of Darwin's voice and what kind of person he was from his autobiography. He wrote it. It was published five years after his death by one of his sons, Francis. And if you read it, it's a remarkable document. It it reveals the character of the man. Uh, Nothing boastful in it or dogmatic or anything such as you might expect. It reveals the persevering explorer of ideas, a man of tremendous drive and energy, who was a truly honest researcher and seemingly without an agenda. But in this autobiography are also revealed his personal relationships with his wife, Emma, whom he loved dearly, and his children. They had nine children, I think seven of whom lived to adulthood. And the autobiography reflects the family life and the loss of perhaps his favorite daughter was when she was only 10. It was very hard on him. And if you write fiction, you try your best to get inside the mind of the character with whom you're dealing. And you do that even with a character modeled on or an actual historical figure. And an autobiography will, if it is a true and honest one, not one that polishes up one's own image, but can be very valuable for that. And I suppose that was the primary thing I relied on to try to get inside the mind of Darwin. And of course, I tried to pick up 
some English speech, and mm-hmm. I guess I've done quite a bit of reading of English novels of the period, and so I was able to do a little bit of that anyway. What is it exactly, or even generally, that you'd like readers or listeners of the audiobook to take away from their experience of the book? I would like readers to take away the idea that the theory is indeed a, a now very powerfully embattled theory. I think the intelligent design biologists have made their case, and I don't see how it can be refuted. That's one thing I would want listeners to take away. The second thing would be to take away a clear picture of the truly calamitous impact of Darwinism as a philosophy, as a thought system on the world of the 20th century and beyond. It's with us to this day. Darwin usually gets a pass, but his idea was foundational, and it influenced the ideas of others, including Nietzsche and, of course, Marx, and perhaps most of all, Freud. These were systems in which historians called them deterministic. They are theories of everything and accepted as that by their followers. And ideas have consequences and unexpected consequences, things that the inventor could not foresee. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute 2013. For more information, visit www.intelligentdesign.org or www.idthefuture.com.